and this man started to fondle my body, touch me anyhow, precisely my breast, just touching me. I was too stunned to do anything. And the next thing he stripped and put my hands on his genitals and started saying, oh, play with it, play with it, it's all yours, play with it, you know, play with it. This is She Thrives, a safety in the workplace podcast brought to you by African Women on Board, AWB. The podcast is an important part of AWB's Violence Against Women in the Workplace initiative and is funded in part by Ford Foundation. My name is Omoye Uzamire and we're on this little yet very important chit chat together as I host a number of amazing guests. Now, what the series does is to enlighten us on workplace violence against women and to seek resolutions so as to eventually scrap it. So why don't we break it down into bite-sized wisdom? Violence against women in the workplace includes actions or inactions that add up to make up intimidation, sexual harassment, online abuse, physical, sexual, emotional, and economic violence. Yes, it feels like almost everything. And all of this is done to reduce a woman from being the best she can be at her work, in her business, or in her career. Now, our first guest used to be a student, and when this happened to her, her life was nearly truncated, literally. Her life was nearly truncated by a lecturer who abused his power. Let's hear the details. Hello, I'm a movie producer, and I've experienced violence in the workplace or in school. This is my story. Many years ago, when I was in my final year, precisely 11 years ago, when I was in my final year, my class advisor sent for me. And when I got to his office, he told me, oh, you cannot graduate with your mates because you're owing eight units. I'm wondering, eight units, what causes did I, did I fail or did I not do? That he said, oh, I shouldn't ask him silly questions, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so what causes can I borrow? And then do because this means it's an extra year which I, I i didn't have a problem with so with eight units i could just do three courses and i'll get eight units you know and he said to me oh i had no other course i could borrow from my department as i had passed all the courses i needed to pass so <laughs> ridiculous but yeah i didn't even mind let's just do it and move on so i came back um i think the next day I paid my school fees, I told him, I printed my course. I gone to another department, board courses, spoken with the lecturer, I did my course form, I came to him, he signed my course form. And then just two days to convocation, my my course mates told me, Oh, your name is on the graduate list, but I don't know what's going on. Your name is on third class. I, I literally I wanted to die. It didn't make any I just felt, oh no, there was a mistake somewhere, and I rushed to his office. And he made me wait for him for four hours, making sure he was done with everybody or maybe people had left because I got into his office at about maybe 6 p.m. And then immediately I got in, he said to me, now you're running to me now, Abby, Abby, I've been giving you, I've been calling you since, I've been make, trying to make you do the right thing and now you're coming to me. You see, being naughty does not favor anybody. That is 200 level. That is 200 level. You know, he was speaking to me, Yoruba. It means that since you're 200 level, and then now you're stuck, you're coming to me. That's because I was being naughty girl. And I just stood there and I said, sir, is it true? He said, yes. 
you will graduate and you are graduating with that third class. That's what you are graduating with. I just stood there because nothing else made sense to me than the quickest way to die. I couldn't imagine going back home to my mother with third class after four years. It, it, there, was no, there, was not, there was no life for me after that reading. And as I stood there stunned with hot tears coming from, you know, rolling down my, my cheeks, this man walks up to me and says, oh, oh baby. Stop crying. It's because you were not seen. It's because you were, oh yeah, be a good girl. Be a good girl. I'll, 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 I'll see what I can do. Eh? Just be a good girl. And this man started to fondle my body. Touch me anyhow. Precisely my breast. Just touching me. I was too stunned to do anything. And the next thing he stripped and put my hands on his genitals and started saying, oh, play with it, play with it. It's all yours. Play with it. You know, play with it. And... I must have stood there for maybe three minutes like like a stone before I just walked out. I just ran out and walked out and I was headed to the lagoon front in Unilag because oh, I just wanted to die. That was all. That was all. I, I don't know how God sent someone to, you know, meet me there and started to talk to me and, you know, why are you here? And person literally chased me out of that place telling me it was risky for me to be there at that time. And the truth is that experience has made me, I never want to set eyes on my certificate. As a matter of fact, I do not know where my certificate is because every time I see it, knowing that for four years, I worked hard to be <laughs> to one. And then just because I didn't sleep with anyone and because I know that if I start to fight that case, I mean, it's all of them, it's them, them. I'm never going to win it. I'm never ever going to win it. So why torture myself any further? Really? You know, every day I've carried that. I never ever forget that. I never forget these visuals of this that encounter. It is always in my head. As I as I'm doing this interview right now, I'm literally playing the video second by second in my head and every time i'm somewhere i'm in an office for anything to do a presentation or anything i'm just thinking somewhere in my head that oh someone might sabotage this thing because he wants to sleep with me because he's made advances i've not seen or i'm pretending not to see or something it's just it's just dehumanizing now in this student's case the violence she experienced was in the form of intimidation sexual abuse and sexual harassment as well as denying her the right to graduate with the class of degree that she deserved and what it does to her going forward is that 11 years later it's still traumatizing i've got two phenomenal women to break this down please make welcome professor chioma agomo a professor of law at the university of lagos you're welcome professor thank you very much and our second guest works in the front lines in the fight against rape and sexual harassment, violence and violence of any kind against women. Please make welcome Sarah Ologo. She's the head of counseling at Women at Risk International Foundation. That is WARIF. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you very much. So I want to welcome you two to the Violence Against Women in the Workplace podcast. Now, I'll go straight to the questions that I want us to touch on. Professor Agoma, what legal advice would you give to a lady who is seeking justice in a situation like this? 
obviously her rights have been trampled upon, but like you said, it's not a legalese issue. And it's one that is very, very common on our campuses. So she ought to have reported it. Yeah, she said it's then them. Yeah, maybe then them. But in the system, there's usually a system, a process. So there's somebody like for me, for example, I tell students, I operate an open door. You can always come to me. And the faculty makes it clear that you can go to so-and-so, so-and-so, you can trust. But normally, when you do that, if it doesn't, if the problem is not solved, it can be escalated. I'll give you an example. There was someone who called me once, said, Mommy, that somebody who supervised her husband's PhD wants to sleep with her. And as she entered his office and he locked it, I said, Daddy, please open the door. I'm old enough to be your daughter. He supervised my husband. And he said, look, I bought car for so-and-so. I did this for so-and-so. Said at that point in time, she opened the door. And she said, I'm going to report. Normally said, are you going to tell Professor Goma? Please don't tell her. But she called me. So I, I told her to report to somebody else. I said, let's pretend you didn't report to me. But I told her to report to a male colleague, somebody else. That one was able to talk to this person. So it can work out that way. But what I'm trying to say is I don't keep silence because that's the problem we have. This issue of silence. The victim continues to be the victim for life. You can see my heart was breaking for life. I have so many of such experiences, people reporting. But I tell them, end this culture of silence. You must have someone you can trust. Take it from there. Thank you very much. Now, Sarah, we know that victims of gender-based violence normally have to deal with post-traumatic stress disorder. What would you recommend to help victims of gender-based violence? All right, so um, post-traumatic stress disorder, we know, is um, it's a disorder that has, um, it um, presents itself with several symptoms. And it's one of the symptoms that anyone that's been either sexually assaulted or has suffered domestic violence, they tend to begin to, I mean, to experience. And just like from the lady's um, story, um, I experienced, you would see the traces of her becoming, um, having the ideas of um, killing herself, that societal ideation. And then um, you see that she was um, already tired of the situation. She felt very helpless. She felt hopeless. Okay, so all these feelings come along. You find um, some depressive feelings also, like she mentioned that she had worked hard to be able to get a 2-1, and at the end of the day, she's living with third class. And so she doesn't want to cite the certificate again. It's because now that's it, the certificate will trigger the experience, and she has been experiencing flashbacks. So all these things, now she's also hypersensitive, okay, such that right now she's at her place of work, and each time she's working, she feels like, oh, someone will soon sabotage what she has done. Now, but you see, from her story, you, we did not hear at any point, you know, when she was able to speak out, just like um, the lawyer um, professor said now, that she didn't speak out, okay? And then also, um, she didn't get the necessary help. So it would have been very good if immediately after, you know, she was able to speak out and somehow there was someone that knew where to refer her to so she could get 
I mean, counseling services that would really help her and really do a lot, you know, that she'll be able to move beyond that place. So, but, you know, it's not always easy to speak out still, but then we'll still keep encouraging every survivor to speak out. Yes. Thank you very much. In fact, I was going to ask you another question, a leading question, which you've already answered. And that question was, if there's a young lady who's listening right now, who's seeing herself in everything that was narrated, what advice would you have for her? But I believe that you and Professor Agomo have already answered that. So I'll go to another question for Professor. As someone in the university system, you've been there for a really, really long time. And so I imagine that you have roots, you have influence in that field. My question is, how can the leadership of the university show that there are safe channels for reporting these harassments? Because a lot of the time, what stops people from speaking out is being afraid that there's one person who will who is not quite so trustworthy. So how do, do we establish proper channels and keep them clean? Um, let me use the University of Lagos, for example. We have um, sexual harassment policy, which has established a system of reporting on various levels. So if one follows it, and if it works well, it should work. But like you said, you can't trust that the system will work the way it's supposed to work. I'll give you an example. I've had an example long before we had a sexual harassment policy. There was a student, very bright student, who was being harassed by a male student, a male lecturer. She failed a course, which she protested against, and the script was remarked, and she passed it. So she came to me and told her, avoid this lecturer. Don't go close to him. Avoid the electives, the ones that he teaches. And unfortunately for her, final year, she had to take a core course. And this same lecturer was the lead lecturer. And what happened in this case was one of her scripts, it was three pieces, was it three sections. The script for one section was removed. Hmm. So again, she was said to have failed this core course. Okay. She had already anticipated what was going to happen. And she had, and so she consulted some senior male colleagues who told her to write a petition. But instead of them following it up, they left that petition, left it there. So she was said to have felt, we could not trace that script. But somewhere along the line was escalated. The board took decision that she would pass. So she was passed to go to law school. Then I now became dean. As soon as I became dean, they now escalated the matter that should have been handled long before I came in. And the vice chancellor, the, the petition was sent to the vice chancellor and I was asked to investigate the matter. Well, because I knew about it, I refused to investigate it. I told the vice chancellor, please set up a panel of inquiry. Let's get to the root of the matter to know exactly what happened. That was the end, it did not respond. That was the end of the matter. Like I said, that student was an A student at at worst, she would have had a 2-1. I cannot now say what was her final grade, but that course, she was scored one point. So that means that probably she would have ended up with a 2-2. I'm not even sure whether she accepted it or whether she went to law school. It's like this, she just walked into the darkness. Must have been, and yeah. disappeared because I didn't hear anything from her. But there again, the way I always said, I said to one person, I said, 
gather your tatter dignity. Yes, somebody has abused you, but you must be bold enough to come out and look at that person in the face because that's the person that you're going to hide, not you. Unless you speak up, unless you speak out, it will continue to happen that the time has come when we must have to speak up and speak out. You can't guarantee that the system will always work, but you have to take that risk to come out from the hiding. Thank you so much, Professor. Now, Sarah, as a counselor at Warif, I know that you've had, I imagine rather, that you've had experiences and encounters with people who don't see the benefits in counseling. How do we communicate the benefits of counseling in our society, especially when things like that, counseling, psychiatric help, are seen as a concept for the foreigners? Okay. You know, I've had um, several experiences of when um, clients have been referred to the center to come see, and then you see some people freak out and say, okay, no, I'm not, um, you're telling me to go see a psychologist. And so, no, that's, I'm not uh, mad, I'm not crazy and all that. So, but you know, coming where we are, you know, uh, we, we started from somewhere in Nigeria and where we are at, just like you mentioned, um, very few people understand what the services are, what they stand for, how professional it is. So before now, people have actually gone for either talking to pastors, either talking to elders in the family, you know, about these things. And but over time, they have found out that those people have turned out to be either judgmental of them or, I mean, there, there was no confidence, I mean, confidentiality in the ending of the situation. And so it boiled down to the stigmatization that every sexual assault survival of, of the uh, gender-based violence survival is always afraid of, you know, they are afraid of speaking out. I don't know how... Um, this person or how they will handle it. Would they believe me? Would they believe my story? Would they blame me? Because I'm already blaming myself a lot for getting, you know, for the situation already. So since people will blame me, since they will judge me wrong, then I'd rather just be quiet. So, but you know, the more we have um, the support systems that we have, the centers that are available, provide this free counseling because right now, it still takes a lot of nerve for people to come out and speak out. They have to be sure that you handle their cases with confidentiality. So there are several people that when they call the uh, the helpline at Warif and then they're like, I hope it won't get into the news. I hope this and that will not know about it. So we have to assure them of utmost confidentiality. So And even the center at Warif has been structured in that manner such that if one client enters and another enters after, both of them will not meet themselves at all. And then they will access all the services from uh, forensic examination to psychosocial counseling. And, you know, uh, our center is at, is at Yaba, and I've had several Unilag students, you know, come in. Several of them have said, oh, okay, now we've heard that there's free counseling. I really want to talk. And then they're like, that is this lecturer that is after me. And, you know, the last semesters have just been a shadow. I always wear black. I try as much as possible not to answer questions in the class. Even if I don't understand, I can't speak out. If it's the lecturers and lecture, I don't attend classes, you know. And so they just become that... Um, that's true. I mean, that hidden person in school so that this lecturer or whoever it is that is training them cannot find them. So, but when they come in, several of them have referred several others, you know, to come in for the free counseling. So I believe the more we talk about it in this light, the more people know that there's a place they can share their story and then they still remain anonymous. The more people know that, you know, 
there's a safe space where they can talk about these things and they can get the necessary help without it yes. getting into the newspaper and all of that. I think they will talk more. So I, um, when we did our group therapy at Warif, we were on the radio, we announced it that people could come in for free group sessions every month. You know, people turned out. So all of this, if we put it out on the media, if we allow people that benefited from counseling, share their story of how they got closure after counseling, I think all of this will encourage people to actually um, go for the service of counseling rather than just settling for the pastor or the priest or the imam or the elder because those people, in as much as they could stand as counselors, they have not, they are not qualified. You know, yes. they have not been trained to really handle the matter. And so they might not get closure talking to such people, but they need to talk to a professional. All right. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Professor Agomo, what can we do to how do we mix do we make scapegoats of people? What are the ways? And I want to hear in about thirty seconds because we're wrapping up. Can we hear about three bullet points? for what to do going forward? Yes, um, I, I think it's been said, or I said it earlier, that you must have zero tolerance for uh, sexual harassment. Um, well, I, I don't know whether it was sexual harassment, but during my tenure as dean, I know that I asked two young male lecturers to tender their resignation. Um, uh, uh, they tender their resignation even though they went to tell a different story, but it wasn't actually about sexual harassment, but female students were involved. Uh, issue of irregular admission, whatever transpired, whatever it was, we felt that this one cannot continue. These ones cannot continue within the system. They should not be allowed to stay. And another one I did was when the student was complaining, she ran to my office and said, please, I want to be re uh, reassigned, reassigned. I said, what is this? this uh, a lecturer is harassing me, is harassing me wants me to be his second wife, third wife, or whatever it is. So I said, put it on speakerphone so I can hear the other lecturer, whoever it is. So she was sitting there, and she put it on speakerphone. So then I heard the lecturer say, oh, so he, at last, so I've been, where have you been, where have you been? But somehow I think he sensed that something was up. So he, the conversation ended, but I had heard what I wanted to hear. So I went straight to the dean. Was, uh, and I said to the dean, look, this is what I have just heard now. Please call this lecturer to order. Otherwise, we escalate this matter because it cannot be allowed to happen. So there has to be uh, 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 zero tolerance. And then the system also have to call those responsible to account. I have chaired a panel which was all over the media about a professor who was accused of sexual harassment. And the university was ready to take action against her, but unfortunately, the person who accused him failed to show up. So we met for about two, three months, and he refused to show up. If he had been found culpable, that would have been the end for him. Even though he's nearing retirement, but he would have gone. The case is still open. Technically, it hasn't closed. Hoping that any time she shows up, the matter will be reactivated. So there has to be a question of accountability, yes. the, the, yes. not just the victims, but the perpetrators must be held accountable. But it starts with reporting, it starts with being able to prosecute it through due process so that at the end of the day, somebody takes responsibility for his action. Before we go away, I just want to um, say something quickly. Professor, something you said, um, Just I just had a, an epiphany of sorts. 
you know, um, we have experiences where people, women want to come out anonymously, but there's no such thing as coming out anonymously because what happens is you just tied it to this. I'm tying it to the last statement you made about the lady who didn't come forward, you know? So what happens is there's a hue and cry and the men are triumphant because nothing gets done. Nothing changes. Would you like to speak to that? This idea of wanting to come out, but not wanting the whole world to know about it. Because in the case that happened in our industry, someone uh, came out, she spoke to me, spoke to a few of us, you know, senior colleagues. And she said, oh, but she didn't want her family to know. She didn't want to come out to the public. But the only way to prosecute, the only way is to go to, a, to the police station to make a statement. And if the press picks it up, well, th that's fine too. But at some point she said, well, she didn't want to, she only wanted to do it anonymously. And that sort of, um, I feel like that, that felt like a dent to the cause. Yes, I, I think so too. But I also understand how the victim feels. But if we really want to prosecute this, somebody has to come out. Like I said, I told someone, I said, just get up your tatter dignity and look at the person in the face. He is the card. He should be the one hiding, not you. But if because they are strong because you are in hiding, that's what society has brought us to be. So that means that societal perception has to be broken. Let's speak up. Let's speak out. Let's begin to advocate. Open. That's open conversation. This is conversation. Let's not keep quiet. Let's speak up. Let's speak out because... The norm that has to be changed. The narrative has to change. So let's get away from the victim mentality that the person who has been abused is not the victim. That's the way I said it. it is the perpetrator is the victim. You have to bring him out to say that what he's doing, like I asked a colleague, if someone does it to your daughter, what would you do? He said, I'll kill the person. I said, but look at you. Thank you so much, Professor. Thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing, you know, from your wealth of experience, from your wisdom, Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. We do appreciate it. Have a lovely, lovely day. African Women on Board remains passionate about amplifying African female voices, supporting African female empowerment, and helping to create a world in which African women and girls are given the tools and resources they need to fully realize their potential. If you'd like to collaborate or share your stories, please send an email to awb at africanwomenonboard.org. For more information, please visit our website on www.africanwomenonboard.org. You can also connect with us on social media, Instagram at awb.network, Twitter at awbafrica, LinkedIn at African Women On Board, Facebook African Women On Board. Thank you for listening. Have a lovely day.